I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Hi, everybody. Happy day, everybody. This is Apologies Accepted. The podcast. The podcast. And I'm not Theo. I am still not Juliet. Awesome. Um, one of us is more than enough. Uh, and uh, how, how are you doing, Theo? As always, you've got stuff going on in your life. Well, thank God, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any stuff going on in my life, man. We've got to be nothing to report here. Uh, I am soon to have nothing to report. We have moved. Our moving company was amazing. Um, it is scary how much paper they would wrap around a single spoon. I swear to oh. God, we probably burned down half of the Amazon forest in paper. Oh, um, oh man. But all that said, we're unpacked. Moving stories are boring. I don't really have any, um, meaning that I have a lot, but who cares? Nothing, no heirlooms broke or anything like that? One thing did break, and I'm real um, disappointed what about broke? it. Um, I had this the thing that I sent you? What? Yes, exactly. Every <laughs> gift you ever sent me, Juliet, broke and got lost. God damn it. You'll have to resend them. Uh, I have this um, air quotes around antique, but I bought it in this yeah. uh, furniture store in Austin that the owner drives down to Mexico and then he brings things yeah. up. And so sure. he said, oh, this is an antique table from a church in Mexico. And I was like, I must own that of course. now. And so I bought yep. it. Um, and he gave me a really good deal on it because it was one of those things that like, I went into the store every weekend for like two months to stare at the table and be like, it's too much. I can't justify want it. And so finally I worked up the nerve to go talk to the owner and I was like, I love the table and you have such exquisite taste. Can you help me? Cause I don't have no money. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, that's exactly how I said it too. (laughs) Oh, this poor guy. What a creep. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I bought the table and the table broke. And James is ecstatic because oh. he hates the table. But I oh. love it. And it's got, um, it sort of looks like the base of a birdbath. And then it has three women around it. And they're holding... Oh, the one that used to be in the room you podcast Exactly, from. yeah. Yeah. And so the ladies yes. have their arms up as if they are holding the table. And their arms are broken yeah. off, right? Oh, wow. It's an ant. And something happens. Wow. So it just, it broke in half and I'm sad, but whatever. Are the moving people giving you money back or anything? I've asked. We'll see. We will see. God. Yeah. Well, hopefully they have insurance. I mean, that's the whole point. But anyway, whatever. I paid extra money for insurance because I was like, something's going to break and it's going to be something that, but I mean, you know, that aside, the move was excellent. It was great. Uh, And here we are, a new house. Um, We're getting used to it and we like it a lot. So yippee. Yay. Yay. So I, I literally have nothing to report. The only thing I've done is take Friday off from work and do nothing. So um, that was... You scoundrel. You did nothing on a day you took <laughs> off. I did literally nothing. So uh, we won't even talk about what I did this week because I did absolutely nothing. But I'm trying to decide whether to go to to Ohio. I mean, big deal, right? But I want to see my friend in Ohio. Um, sorry, Michelle. I didn't mean to... <laughs> This your hometown. <laughs> um, it is actually, she lives in near Toledo, and it is actually more interesting than you would suspect because they have a really cool zoo. Oh, really? And they have an aquarium. You're it really so is. full of these backhanded <laughs> no, compliments. I want to go, but I'm f- afraid of the Delta thing, so I don't want to fly right now. And I, it's not, oh, it's, it's like three weeks from now, and, and I'm, I'm really not into flying, especially with the airlines, not except for United, which I'm not which is not what I bought a ticket on, unfortunately, not requiring vaccinations. So it's kind of iffy as far as I'm concerned, but, but we'll see. Well, um, yeah. When are you going? When are you maybe going? Labor Day weekend. When is that? You're... Like three weeks from now, the first weekend oh, of September. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say maybe by October things will have right? ratcheted right. down a bit. Um, but no. No, probably not. Not three weeks. In three weeks, it'll probably be at its peak. Oh, God. No, it's going to be awful. Um, 
Yeah, we know three people who are vaccinated who uh, have all tested positive for COVID, and mm-hmm. they're okay. They just have bad sure. colds or whatever. Oh, so sure. yesterday I was talking to my uh, my hairdresser. Hi, uh-huh. and um, uh-huh. I asked him. Like, hey, how are things in the salon? Have any of your coworkers gotten sick? And he said, well, yeah, yesterday there was a girl who had to leave because she wasn't feeling well. And there was a guy here uh, on whatever, a couple of days ago who couldn't come yeah. in because he was sick. And I said, oh, wow, you know, um, are they vaccinated? Have they been vaccinated? And he said, I don't ask people their vaccination status. Oh right. God! In that really? tone, and he's really friendly with me. So, like, yeah. that tone, I was like, "Oh, okay, Trumpy. Um, yeah, holy you, shit, it's all I'd be right. Like, Bye. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I'll be leaving now. Obviously, not you're not vaccinated. Well, that's like, <laughs> um, this is news to me. I thought right. you were cool, but so I, uh, yeah, and uh, I didn't say to wow. him. But I thought it. I was like, well, I think when most people who are vaccinated get sick, the first thing they say is, I was vaccinated and I'm sick. Right. So you don't have to ask them. Right. They'll volunteer. But, it, you know, it's yes. not for me to. Apparently it, it is for me. It absolutely is. <laughs> it's your business. If, if I, That's the first thing I asked my hairdresser at, when all this was going on was whether she had gotten vaccinated. And, of course, she has. And, I mean, if she hadn't, I would be like, bye. You know, I'm not getting my hair cut from you. And, sure. and it, it's been really great because she um, she moved to – I mean, not, this is not great. She moved to Sacramento. But she comes into the city to do haircuts every Sunday. Uh-huh. And she's the only one doing haircuts on Sunday. So it's like it's, it's just her and me in there. And oh, she's vaccinated great. and I'm vaccinated. And it's fantastic. I love it. I hope she never stops doing that. Um, so anyway, I, this, no one cares about my hairdresser. <laughs> I care. I care about haircuts and, and the vaccination status of hairdressers. Of my salon stylist, a lot. whatever. My hair, hair care professional. Yes. So, all right. Um, let's see. So this week, Off let's hair. talk about... <laughs> off of hair and on to um, TikTok. So there is a TikTok video that became popular recently, which I haven't seen and I should have looked for it. Did you look at it? I did. It was dumb. Oh, okay. sorry. I gave my opinion early. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been Apologies Accepted. <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> so there was a TikTok video that recently became popular um, that claimed that former President Bill Clinton uh, apologized for alleged experiments that allegedly took place in what was allegedly known as the Montauk Project. And the Montauk Project was allegedly a series of um, U.S. government projects that were conducted in Montauk, New York, at the former Montauk Air Force Station, which is also known as Camp Hero. So this conspiracy is based on a bunch of books, I think, written by a dude named Preston Nichols, who has claimed, I guess he claims in the books, that he recovered memories of being forced to participate in human research studies um, at Camp Hero. And this research supposedly included time travel, teleportation, mind control, contact with extraterrestrial life, and the staging of faked moon landings, which is kind of the outlier. Oh, please. The only thing fake was the moon landing, which is the only thing in any of that that actually happened. (laughs) Holy fuckballs. I know, I know. And they made a movie um, called Montauk Chronicles with Preston Nichols and some other dudes um, talking about the claims about the Montauk Project. And I understand that the Netflix TV series Stranger Things was inspired by the Montauk Project, but whatever. I mean, that's all fiction. So did you see this 2015 film, The Montauk Chronicles? No. Oh, my God. I sat through 40 minutes of it. It's two hours long. It's two hours long. And it was so drawn out. It was, like, obvious that they had nothing to say. I mean, I watched 40 minutes of it, and they didn't even get into talking about the guy being abducted or or having anything happen to him or whatever. It was just about this guy. And, oh, this is Montauk, and we went to Montauk, and here's pictures of us turning over rocks at Montauk. And it was horrible. Oh, so was it, like, a documentary or, like, yeah. Oh man! Oh my God! Like yeah, they owe you it was time. Terrible. It was one of the worst things I've seen in a long time, and I mean that's that's saying that's something. Not good. Yeah. So so anyway, so there's there's absolutely no evidence that any of this stuff happened. At of course not. <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but we'll we'll talk about some things that did happen. <laughs> so. um 
then and the video, uh, the TikTok video with with Clinton supposedly apologizing for the Montauk Project shows him saying, "What was done cannot be undone. What the United States government did was shameful, and I am sorry." And while this could refer to any number of things during Clinton's presidency, it did not, in fact, refer to the Montauk Project or Monica Lewinsky. These statements were actually part of Clinton's official 1997 apology for the Tuskegee experiment. So if you've been living under a rock, the Tuskegee experiment was a study, quote unquote, of syphilis in black men from the 30s through the 70s. And I think you know something about the Tuskegee experiment, Theo. I do. As a matter of fact, I only know about the Tuskegee experiment. <laughs> uh, that was all That's I all focused you know about on. Ever. That's the only thing I know about. Um and I swear to God, I could probably write a book about it. Um, and there were some very interesting, weird things, right? Mm-hmm. Not not Montauk weird, just uh, just lazy writing weird. And oh. we'll get into that, right? Okay. Um, so yeah, whoever's writing this version of reality got bored and didn't try real hard with the names. <laughs> <laughs> so, the t- the Tuskegee experiment, uh, which uh, involved 600 African American males, who uh, 400 of whom had syphilis, 200 did not. They were used as controls, and uh. the idea behind the experiment was mm-hmm. that black people and white people experience syphilis differently. And that in white people, the disease manifests itself more as a cerebral um, uh, disease, right? So it attacks your brain. There's so much brain in white people. And where black people have less brain, and so it attacks their cardiovascular system. Is that what they really thought? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, That was one of the many things that they thought. Um, Right. And so... There had been a study done in 1929 in Oslo, Norway, on uh, syphilis and untreated syphilis in a white population, right? And so that data was just sitting there. The study had been done, published in Germany, yippee skippy, we have all this information about what happens to white people when they have syphilis and that's, and it goes untreated. So a doctor in America had been handed some money by a foundation called, well, I've forgotten the name. I'm Oh, here we go. The Rosenwald fund. And okay. this was uh 1930s and the Rosenwald Fund was a progressive um, uh, uh, fund. There we go. I'm making yeah, up sure. words now. Foundation. Um, sure. Foundation. Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. Dedicated to the uh, education of African Americans. Right. Okay. So cool. And and within that, there was some interest in health. So the fund gave some money to uh, a Dr. Vonderler, and Dr. Vonderler had been uh, born in Virginia. His parents were from Germany, and he studied medicine, and in particular, he had studied uh, sexually transmitted diseases. And okay. it was known, air quotes around known, that um, that after World War One, soldiers brought syphilis back to the States, and it was a okay. public um, health concern, right? Of the size of COVID, right? Um, The medical world did not have... The size of COVID? Well, basically, um, not in terms of numbers. That many people were coming back with syphilis? No, but uh, in terms of concern. Okay. Okay. So the Rosenwald Fund gave some money to Dr. Vondeler to study sexually transmitted diseases within the African-American community. Um, and this was an issue because people had been coming back from the war. Exactly. With, well, World with War One, and yes, with syphilis, and so um, the the black population in the South um, on. And I don't know who who did this study, right? 
but they yeah. came up with a number that in Alabama, about 26% of the black population had uh, syphilis, right? Okay. Which is a okay. huge, giant number, 26%. Well, not really. I mean, if you think about the number of people in our generation that had genital warts, had HPV. Oh, sure. I mean, I mean that's 90%. Like huge. Yeah, the massive numbers. So I can see how syphilis, I, maybe syphilis was less contagious. I don't know, but... Uh, but yeah. Well, so there wasn't really a, uh, I mean, there was a treatment for it, but not a cure, right? Yes. And so yes. Uh, Dr. Vondeler, um, so this is me and I'm speculating here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but some really ugly stuff happens here. So I think, uh, I think it's fair to throw a little speculation in. So his mother died um, from paralysis, not syphilis. Not syphilis, but paralysis. And okay. she died when she was 48 years old, right? So one of the side effects of syphilis is something called paralysis. So oh. I'm thinking this guy's interest in uh, syphilis and STDs stemmed from oh, his, his mother. Illness. But that's me speculating, right? Because I we're see, using gotcha. old-timey diagnostic words. Paralysis. I mean, she could have died from yeah. the hiccups, and they called it paralysis. Who knows? Um, okay, cool. But so, yeah, how did she get par- paralysis? That's not something you just pick up on the street. Right. So maybe she did have syphilis. So who Absolutely. knows? But uh, Vondeler had a, um, a protege, this guy named Dr. Roderick Heller. John Roderick Heller, right? But Dr. Heller. And Dr. Heller was born um, in 1905 in Fair Play, South Carolina. So I'm going to call foul here on lazy writing because the guy's born in Fair Play and then helps uh-huh. conduct an experiment that's deceitful <laughs> and doesn't tell people that they you are going to true? die. Yeah, you think I, they made I, it got up? some. Oh no, I'm I'm sure that's the name of the town. It's just why not mm-hmm. Smithville? Why does it have to be fair play for this guy that you know? But okay, so okay, Doctor Heller takes over the study in um, 1943. Doctor Vondeler retires, and and Heller was interested in not only how the disease manifested itself but in how compliant the population that he was studying was, right? He couldn't have been more delighted to have uh, African-Americans as, as his study group because growing up in the South, he understood they would not question a white man, particularly right. a white doctor. And so sure. he had kind of free reign. And some of wow. his treatments included spinal taps. Um, nice. Yep, uh, there was a there was a a treatment that they used again, treatment different from a cure, which was a combination of a derivative of arsenic and mercury, and that oh my god, sort of tamped down. What's that word? Tamped, tamped, tamped? Yeah. yeah, tamped, yeah. Weird word for me. Um, tamped down the the disease so that you could live, right? Sure. Um, And it was believed that black people not only had a different experience, uh, physiological experience with syphilis, but also it Mm -hmm. didn't bother them as much as it bothered white people. The syphilis or the The treatment of arsenic and mercury? Oh, sorry, that wasn't wasn't clear. So, um, So Heller ran this study where they just didn't treat people for syphilis, although uh, penicillin had been discovered as um, a cure for early stage, um, well, many things, but in particular early stage syphilis. And uh, it was not administered to any of the participants. So there was a deal that Heller had arranged with a Dr. Baker, who was the state health officer for um, Alabama. And the deal was that you've got to at least treat these people with something that's going to help them live with the disease. We understand that you're not going to be curing them, 
the reason why treatment was emphasized was white employers weren't going to be happy that black people weren't being kept healthy. I see. Right. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, as you dive into this thing, it just it's just it's soaked in racism. But I mean, you know, of course it is because it's initially it's the 1940s, but this moves on into the 1970s. And yeah. when people say there's not systemic racism, well, I mean, you have the state health officer of Alabama knowing that yes. a group of people are not going to be receiving not being treated proper treatment for disease Cured, that they have, yeah. right? There is yeah. um, there is a little bit of confusion when it comes to the Tuskegee experiment. There's, um, there's sort of an urban legend that the U.S. government was infecting uh, people with syphilis, and that's not the case. Right. They were actually looking true. for people who had syphilis. But so this went on until 1972, discussing how could this possibly happen. And then uh, Dr. Heller's study was um, exposed by Gene Heller, who was a journalist for the AP Associated Press. Hmm. And Interesting. Again, I'm going to call lazy writing. We could have had a different last name for the woman that takes down the study, but we lazy used the same God. name. Yeah, exactly. Come yeah. on, God. You've got yeah. thousands of names. You could have maybe millions of names. <laughs> but so Gene Heller, who was a journalist for the AP, broke this story in 1972. And um, it took another two years for the study to be closed down. Wow. Right? However, out of a study in 1974, the thing we all take for granted that a doctor is going to give you a proper diagnosis, that you're going to know your test results, you're going to be told the mm -hmm. truth, um, mm -hmm. that if you sign up for an experiment, you're going to know um, what it is What it is that's happening to you, right? Yeah. What, yeah. Um, and it uh, didn't come out until 1974, and that's because of the Tuskegee experiment. We may thank the U.S. government for having been dicks so that now we're a bit safer. But yeah. that's not, yeah, that's, ugh. I mean, it's just, it's just all bad, right? Um, my other bit of lazy writing is that this study that was done in 1929, Oslo, Norway, was um, conducted where white people with syphilis were examined yes, but not treated, studied. was done by a Dr. Bruisegaard. Doctor what? Bruise guard. I don't get it. One who guards bruises. Okay, okay, bruise guard. Yeah, <laughs> a name for a doctor. Why don't you just call him yeah. Doctor Doctor, Doctor Health, <laughs> Doctor Doctor Good Health? You know, Doctor Bruise Guard. Right. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah, and so um, after th after the Tuskegee experiment was exposed. A out-of-court settlement was reached with the family of participants, and they were awarded $10 million total, which in today's money would be $61 million. And uh, that breaks down to, out of 600 people, about $101,000 per not a participant. Lot. Not a yeah. lot. for, not And you know, it's not just the guys... Uh, who didn't receive treatment, who suffered, right? Sure, sure. The wives contracted, some wives yeah. contracted syphilis, some children were born with yeah. congenital syphilis, right? There were some grandchildren, apparently, um, two that were born. Oh, my gosh. Right? So, I mean, just awful. Um, what more needs to be said about that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty pretty bad. Um and that's not the only thing that our government has done regarding unethical experimentation on human subjects, which you probably are not surprised to hear. Um, uh, even outside the Tuskegee experiment, there's plenty of evidence that the government has experimented on its citizens. There was an exhaustive review in the 2010s by the Associated Pro Press um, of medical journal reports and press clippings that found more than 40 such studies. Um, at best, these studies were conducted as a search for life-saving treatments, and at worst, um, they were basically curiosity-satisfying experiments that harmed people and yielded no useful results, much like the Tuskegee experiment. Um, 
the Tuskegee experiment has been called the longest non-therapeutic experiment on human beings in medical history, which is pretty sad that our our uh, our own government was responsible for such a thing. Just, so I have some more examples. Go ahead. Oh yeah, no, just just awful. And even at the time, um, I think it was uh, Doctor Vondeler who had been accused of behaving like a Nazi, right? And oh, this would wow. have been in the 1960s. And given that, you know, he's of German descent, um, yeah. right? And although his yeah. family left pre-World War II, uh, those ideas, in my opinion, were in the air, probably raised with some of them. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And he said, no, no, we would not, uh, behave like Nazis at all. Sure. And how he cannot see the parallel between what he yeah. did and I what the Germans did. did. Um, oh, and I should also uh, connect the dots here that uh, Gene Heller, who, the journalist who broke the story, received the tip from a whistleblower who was a Jewish man who had been born in Prague and emigrated to the U.S. because of Nazi persecution. And when he found out about the Tuskegee, mm-hmm. he worked for the U.S. Department of Health. Mm-hmm. When he found out from colleagues about the Tuskegee experiment, um, he thought, hey, he didn't need anybody to help familiar. him see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, just that thing of like people behaving a certain way and not yeah. seeing that they are behaving a certain way. We don't see that today. No, and that um, probably includes me. <laughs> Not as far as I know, but I'll let you know if it does. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll talk about some additional studies um, or additional examples of unethical research, but I'll, I'll only talk about some examples that happened after 1950. There were a lot um, prior to that decade, but there's no need to go all, that, all the way back in history to, uh, to find such examples. So, but in, so in the 50s themselves, in Germany, Japan, and the Philippines, there were secret detention camps created where the U.S. government captured people it thought of as enemies or as expendable in order to interrogate them with drugs, electroshock, and other torture methods. Um, in the U.S. in the 50s, Uh, researchers injected cancer cells into 19 patients with advanced chronic diseases other than cancer without their consent at the Jewish Chronic Disease Hospital in Brooklyn to see if their bodies would reject those cancer cells. Fortunately, they did. At the Jewish? these people had no idea that this was happening to them. And one of the doctors said, well, it was okay because we knew that these... um, we knew that these cancer cells would be harmless. We just wanted to see what the rejection rate was, which is total bullshit. Right. Total bullshit. But but again, I'm just going to like take a step back here yeah. and say like, so it was the Jewish chronic um, disease, disease hospital, hospital yeah. right? And so yeah. one would presume that most of the, and like notably it wasn't the Catholic hospital. Yes, right, 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 right. right. Yeah. So yeah. the U.S. government using other people. I mean, imagine, yeah. Yeah. Just imagine. And that was that was in the 50s, which is not long after the Second World War. So, hello. Yeah, I know. Um, Ridiculous. Yes. And in Staten Island, beginning in 1956, a medical study was conducted at the Willowbrook State School for children with what was then called mental retardation. These children were intentionally given hepatitis, orally and by injection, to see if they could then be cured with gamma globulin. And obviously they did not have permission of, uh, they, the children couldn't give permission, but they didn't have permission of the parents either. So, hello. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> Appalling. This doesn't work for podcasts, but my mouth is just hanging open. Like, Oh, I know. I don't even have words for that one. Isn't that amazing? I mean, children giving hepatitis yeah. just to see if they could cure it. It's ridiculous. That's like the Tuskegee study. It's what they say happened in the Tuskegee study, but it actually happened with children and hepatitis. Um. By the 1960s, at least half of U.S. states allowed prisoners to be used as medical guinea pigs. In widely covered congressional hearings in 1973, um, which were probably associated with Tuskegee and with another um, another program that I'll talk about in a minute, um, pharmaceutical industry officials actually acknowledged that they were using prisoners for testing because they were cheaper than chimpanzees. Oh, please. Can you believe it? No, you can buy a prisoner for less money than a chimpanzee? Probably not anymore. You know, prices have gone up. (laughs) Damn inflation. 
Yeah. Um, so the most famous example of the government experimenting on people is probably MK Ultra, which I'm sure everyone has heard about by now. I get so um, excited, but then I have to remind myself it's not a beer. It's not a beer. <laughs> Isn't there like a beer that's like blah, blah, Ultra? Ultra? I think there is. Um, but MK Ultra lasted 20 years. It was developed during the Cold War and was intended to develop successful techniques for interrogations via attempted hypnosis, brainwashing, psychological torture, and drug use on mostly uninformed subjects. And this, of course, was a violation of the Nuremberg Code that the U.S. actually signed after World War II. Universities, pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, and prisons participated in MKUltra research, sometimes without knowing how their research was going to be used. The aim was to develop techniques including what they were hoping would be a perfect truth drug to be used against the, um, the uh, Soviet and other prisoners and potential, potentially leaders including and maybe especially Fidel Castro. So they spent millions of dollars on MKUltra over 20 years, um, about $80 million worth of, of money today. And they focused largely on uh, LSD as a, as a drug. Uh, some of the things they did was uh, administer LSD to mental patients, prisoners, drug addicts, and sex workers, or as one agency officer put it, people who could not fight back. They also administered LSD to CIA employees, military personnel, doctors, other government agents, and members of the general public to study their reactions. They even went so far in as in Operation Midnight Climax oh, please. <laughs> to set up several brothels within agency safe houses in San Francisco in the 1950s in order to get a bunch of men to experiment on who would be too embarrassed to report what had happened to them. So what they did was they dosed these dudes with LSD and then they watched them through one-way mirrors. They um, not only watched, but they filmed them for later study. Um, and they also, in other experiments, interrogated subjects under bright lights with doctors in the background taking notes. So there were doctors involved in this who knew what was going on, who apparently had no objection, uh, continued doing the studies anyway. Um, they threatened subjects by telling them they would extend their trips if they refused to reveal their secrets. And they even took drug addicts and um, bribed them into taking LSD with offers of more drug, whatever, they, whatever their drug of choice was. I mean, hi, so, that one. Yeah, I totally see that. But oh yeah, it's bad though. How um, stupid! I'm gonna, I'm gonna hop. You get hopped up on LSD. <laughs> I've only, I've only ever tried it one time, and it was a very small uh, corner of a tab. And I, uh -huh. oh, you turn on. Um, I guess that's that's the expression the kids were using in the in the sixties to the eighties. But yeah. how stupid! I'm going to get you real fucking high, and you're going to tell me all your secrets. And if you don't tell me mm -hmm. all your secrets, I'm going to get you higher. Well, I think in in, I mean, if you've ever done a, a hallucinogen, I think the experience that you have has a, has a lot to do with the environment that you're in. Oh, totally. And I can't imagine them being in a positive environment, taking no. these drugs with doctors taking notes and bright lights shining on them and one way mirrors and God knows what going on. So. I'm sure these trips were largely horrible. I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so they probably did have to bribe them or threaten them to um, do whatever they wanted them to do in order to get them to stop. Um, so long-term debilitation and several deaths resulted from these programs. And as some dude named Martin Lee wrote in a book, uh, A History of, of LSD and the CIA, called Acid Dreams, um, as experimentation progressed and time went by and, and broader and broader audience of subjects were selected, surprise acid trips became something of an occupational hazard among CIA operatives. One dude had LSD put in his morning coffee. Um, he became psychotic and, and ran across the city of Washington seeing monsters in every car. Um, and uh, notably, a dude named Frank Olson, who was an army chemist who had never taken LSD before, was covertly dosed by his CIA supervisor and nine days later fell out the 13th story window of a hotel room in New York, supposedly as a result of depression caused by the drug. But there are stories that he had approached his superiors earlier, complaining about the morality of the project and asking to resign from the CIA. And his family and some others suspect that he was killed to prevent him from divulging classified information about MKUltra. I am one of those others. It's Are you? It's a very Russian tactic. To, Oops, if somebody oh, totally. fell out the window. 
Oh, that doctor Whoops. that didn't like us. I mean, how many doctors have two doctors in Russia have fallen out of windows? Um, so I'm going to say, yeah, government two. like uh-huh, uh huh. Over COVID One, over the two. last year. Oh, okay. Well, uh, so say. two two that I <laughs> two could, in the last ten minutes. Two that I could maybe Google and, yeah, yeah, and say yeah. like oh, that's why I know that. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I mean. Do I know that the U.S. government pushed that guy out the window? No, but sure, of course they did. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, he was pushed out a window. Um, and everyone's favorite American poet, Allen Ginsberg, gag, um, first took LSD in an experiment on Stanford's campus. Um, he eventually became a proponent of psychedelics in the 60s, as everyone knows. And um, after hearing suspicions that his initial... Um, the experiment he participated in initially was CIA-funded, wrote, Am I, Allen Ginsberg, the product of one of the CIA's lamentable, ill-advised, or triumphantly successful experiments in mind control? So maybe the government is to blame for Allen Ginsberg. Who can say? They may also be to blame for Ted Kaczynski, who spent over 200 oh, yeah. hours as part of a Harvard study that may have been part of MKUltra, and Sirhan Sirhan, whose attorney believed that he was operating under MKUltra mind control techniques. I don't know where his attorney got that idea. I suppose it's not impossible. There's some something about some woman in a polka dot shirt or scarf, and that was kind of the flash signal for him oh, yeah? to like um, assassinate Robert Kennedy. And yeah, there there is this like story about uh, MK Ultra and Sirhan Sirhan uh, and some details in it, and uh, that one, you know, urban legendy to me, but huh. maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, I it's guess that's not the point of what you just said. Possibility, exactly. Um, but after all of this work uh, in MK Ultra on LSD, it was determined that LSD was too unpredictable to be useful. So, I mean, Jesus, years, I could have fucking told them that, and they could have saved eighty right? million dollars. Right. I mean, anyone who had any experience with LSD didn't have to do that eighty million dollar study. Um, so most MK Ultra records were destroyed by uh, order of the CIA director in 1973 in an attempt to keep the information from the public. Um, about 20,000 documents were stored in the finance building, sort of not really incorrectly, but they were overlooked in the destruction. And so those documents were later recovered and are the source of most available information that we have now about MK Ultra. Wow. Yes, and as a result of the MKUltra studies, or whatever you want to call them, and the Tuskegee um, experiments, in 1976, the first executive order on intelligence activities prohibited experimentation with drugs on human subjects without informed consent, and subsequent orders were uh, expanded that order to apply to any human experimentation. However, it ain't over. It ain't over till it's over. Um, in 1997, a medical watchdog organization charged that the U.S. government was sponsoring nine medical studies in the developing world that were unethical, including a study in which U.S. doctors failed to give the AIDS drug AZT to all HIV-infected pregnant women in a study in Uganda, even though it would have protected their newborns. U.S. health officials tried to defend the study by saying that it would answer questions about AZT's use in the developing world, which is bullshit. Total bullshit. And this was before there were any other drugs, really, than AZT. Um, so it was kind of all there was, and the doctors just didn't didn't give it to these women with uh, with uh, HIV. And and in 2001, an official inquiry was set up regarding allegations that Pfizer did not obtain official approval before testing a new drug on children during a meningitis epidemic in Nigeria in the 1990s. Pfizer gave an antibiotic called Trovan to children with meningitis in Nigeria, although there were doubts about its effectiveness for that disease. Critics blamed the experiment for the deaths of 11 children and the disabling of scores of others. The FDA never approved Trovan for the care of children in the United States, and the drug was later linked to reports of liver damage and death in adults. European regulators outlawed it entirely. In 2009, Pfizer settled a lawsuit with Nigerian officials for $75 million but admitted no wrongdoing. And today, interestingly enough, some Nigerians are reluctant to get the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Oh, gee, I wonder why. Where could they have uh, possibly have possibly... gotten any fear? Right. Why would you not trust Pfizer? Exactly. I don't get it. Well, it's That's also part of, I mean, it makes total sense, right? 
But there's mm-hmm. also this idea in the States that African-Americans, people of color, but specifically African-Americans, distrust doctors because of the Tuskegee experiment. Um, right. But actually, black people were experimented on for years and years and years prior to yes. Tuskegee. Um, yes. There was a thing called night doctors in the South where people... Um, White men would go into, it's very scary, right? Would go into homes, abduct people, conduct experiments on them, and take them back home. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I didn't research any of that because um, at a certain point with Tuskegee, you just get to this thing where it's like, yeah. Oh my God, people are terrible, and it, uh, I know I got to that point doing this research too. It's not even that governments shit. are terrible because governments are people. Just, everyone's terrible. Everyone's yeah. terrible. We're all canceled again, everybody. Everybody go We're home. All canceled forever. Just don't leave your house. Oh hey, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we were doing that for a year. <laughs> yeah, we're we're still doing it pretty much, at least over here. Um, so the U.S. Department of Health and, Sur- Health and Human Services Inspector General reported not long ago that between 40 and 65 percent of clinical studies of federally regulated medical products are performed in other countries, and that proportion has probably grown. The report also noted that U.S. regulators inspected fewer than 1 percent of foreign clinical trial sites. So if you want to know where MKUltra is happening today, it's happening outside the U.S., probably still by the U.S. government, but in perhaps third world or developing, we call them now, countries. It, uh, just, Very depressing. It is. And things like that just drive me absolutely insane because it, it feels as productive and, and worthy of science as, how many, as studying how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, right? Yeah. It's... it's I don't even know where to start and there's no point in starting because once I do, I'll never stop. Uh, and I think right. any sane, reasonable person would be like, that's terrible. It is terrible. It is terrible. And, and it's depressing. And, and not only is it depressing because it happened, but it's still happening. And companies that we, we know we work with whose drugs we take like Pfizer are doing it today. I mean, well, okay. Uh, let me not say that because I don't know, allegedly maybe doing it today, but did as recently as the early 2000s when I was working for a pharmaceutical company. So, and, and Pfizer was a respected pharmaceutical company at, at the time. So I'm, I'm not saying that any company I ever worked for did anything like this. And as far as I know, they didn't. But um, it's just depressing. It is depressing. Like it's a and close it's, to home. It's, uh, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, what can you say? There's nothing you can say. It's just, it's just a mess. So let's talk about the apology that actually happened. That's a little something, a little bit more positive. Um, so the TikTok video showed Clinton apologizing. Uh, he was in, in actuality apologizing to the surviving men of the 600 who participated in that Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male, as it was called. Um, Clinton said, these men are a living link to a time not so very long ago that many Americans would prefer not to remember, but we dare not forget. It was a time when our nation failed to live up to its ideals, when our nation broke the trust that is the very foundation of our democracy. The United States government did something that was wrong, deeply, profoundly, morally wrong. To the survivors, to the wives and family members, the children and the grandchildren, I say what you know. No power on earth can give you back the lives lost, the pain suffered, the years of internal torment and anguish. What was done cannot be undone, but we can end the silence. We can stop turning our heads away. We can look you in the eye and finally say on behalf of the American people, what the government, what the United States government did was shameful, and I'm sorry. And Clinton announced that the government was providing a $200,000 grant to help establish a center for bioethics in research and healthcare at Tuskegee University, which big fucking deal. Um, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, $200,000 is a drop in the bucket. That's not even going to buy anybody pencils. It's not even going to pay one person's salary, hardly. Maybe two people. For um, for a, a university salary, it might pay some people's salaries. But... Oh, burn! <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying that they, they get paid shame, shamefully little. Um, 
But yeah. they get the privilege so of as, working in research. And the so. privilege of working at Tuskegee University, where this famous study happened. Um, well, it actually didn't happen at Tuskegee University. Well, it might have. Um, oh, it did, yeah. Um, it it did. specifically happened at Tuskegee because they needed um, black nurses and black doctors um, oh. in order to help this feel a little more legit to the And there was one woman in particular I read about, one nurse, who sort Eunice. of followed the study throughout the whole, what was her name? Oh, I think it's uh, Eunice uh, was her oh, okay. first name, yeah. and I she don't recall the last thing name. throughout the whole length of the study. And how could she have done that? I mean, she must have known what was going on. She must have known that they weren't treating these people. I don't. I. I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't know how anybody could have done it. And same, right? Um, yeah. You know, there is that whole like, oh, for the for the cause of science and one person's yeah. life might, you know, at the cost of one person's life, we might save a thousand other people. And if you can believe that, then you can go to sleep at night. I guess so. But I guess so. I, yeah. Or, you know, she may have been just one of those people with no conscience that just didn't care. She was getting a salary. She was going to do what they told her to do. Oh, Who knows? well, you know, so actually interesting point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, John, John Hopkins. no, uh, I'm thinking medical hospitals. Uh, Tus- the Tuskegee University um, started off as an educational um, university, so they trained teachers and specifically black mm-hmm. teachers, right, to mm-hmm. to go into black schools and teach black children. Uh, and that branched out into medicine and mm-hmm. black doctors and black nurses in the 30s and 40s found it impossible to get employed. Or to find employment. Okay. Right. Okay. So when the study comes along and it's like, we need some black doctors and black nurses to work here and help us do I some see. things, right? It that's may have just simply been that, right? It was an opportunity. Yeah. That's sad. I, that's so, all you can get. It's using people left and right who are not only yes. vulnerable and disenfranchised, but uh, helpless in many ways. And, and are, you know, again, I just will beat this drum. You can't say there's not systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Because I could just point to the Tuskegee study and say, this is what systemic racism lo- not only looks like and operates, but this is how you identify it. Yeah. Agreed. I'm such a Agreed. hero. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God we have you in the United States I know, right? as an example. <laughs> Thank God I yes. don't work for the enemy. Yes. So, okay, let's go to who's sorry now. Um, oh, well, we have to, was... we have to rate Bill's apology um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And sorry, I, thank you for and, reminding me. Of course. Oh, please, because uh, not that I have any thoughts, but I have a number, and uh, but I also really am desperate to say that this isn't the only apology that Bill Clinton has made. Of it's course, true. there was Monica Lewinsky, but he also apologized to the state of Hawaii, and he apologized oh. to Rwanda for the uh, genocide, and he made that apology on my birthday in 1998. Ooh. Wow. I know. I just needed to let everybody know my birthday's on March, March 25th. So, yeah, there have been a lot of apologies that presidents have made um, officially to various groups of people. And I don't know that they are actually worth anything. I mean, exactly. It's nice that it's nice that you recognize. I suppose if, like with Tuskegee, maybe y- your experience was denied for so long um, by the government for so many years that finally the government is admitting that they did do something wrong. That's worth something. But it, you know, perhaps more should be done for some people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how do you how do you apologize for something like that? Right. Right. And I'm not even saying like Bill wasn't even there and he wasn't in charge of the government. It's like. Who can apologize for something like that? And sure, the head of the U.S. government, but it is a very symbolic gesture. It doesn't really accomplish anything. And sure, uh, it's it's nice. No, it's not nice. It's validating to hear from the head of government that what happened to your family member or to you or your family was awful. And it did happen. It's not... You yes, know, it did happen. And we're giving you a little bit of money, and we're setting up this little, little grant foundation, whatever. But, but yeah. And again, I mean, it just it gets down to I get money's nice and money's great, but how about money and free education, free university right, degrees, right. or right. not degrees, but That's free great. attendance for university? Um, that would be great. That's a good idea. 
I mean, I hope that President Biden is listening. I know he's listening, but yeah, of course. I hope he's listening this far into the show. We do have DC listeners. We do. We do. And one of them is a conservative who doesn't like us, which is shocking. That's fine. That's fine. Um, okay, so let's write the apology. Um, so President Clinton's apology to the people who um, suffered the Tuskegee experiment. I will give it a six. Okay. All right. So we are, we're vibing because I oh, also cool. was like, it's better than average, but it's not really yeah. a 10 at time. Yeah. No. So I'll give it a 6.5. Just to add some flavor you here. You always have to rate them higher than I do. I'm nicer. Um, I think it was a, the you're nicer. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, apology itself was well phrased. Whoever wrote it did a good job. Yeah, nice PR. Um, they did say that that um, they would do something about it by establishing a, a center for bioethics and research and healthcare at Tuskegee University. So that's something, um, but it, it falls short of, I mean, it, it can only fall short. So there's no way that this could ever there's, have been a 10. Right. There's nothing that could ever be done to make it all okay. No, nothing. Right. Even saying, we'll <laughs> so never do this again. Generous. Yeah. Right. As if. Okay, um, so that's a six, 6.5. It averages out to 6.25. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you doing math. <laughs> Yay. I would have said it was a 12. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's sorry now? So I sat down to think about um, the many times I've experimented on people and the many people oh, I've yeah. given STDs to. And I couldn't come up with just one because I, I wasn't really sorry about any of those things that I'd done. Um, so I had a really genius. hard time. <laughs> coming up with a, with a who's sorry now, but I think I settled on somebody, and that is a, a guy who was a therapist um, when I was in college, and I went to him for therapy, and he decided that I had some issue that I wasn't talking about, and he tried to make me talk about it. He's like, you know, you can't get better if you don't talk about this issue. And this is just during one session while I was sitting in his office, minding my own business, just, you know, doing the therapy thing. And he came out with this thing that he said I wasn't talking about that I needed to talk about in order to heal. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And he's like, you really need to talk about this. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I didn't know what he was talking about. And he actually insisted, not only that I talk about it, but he moved his chair to block the door. So wow. I could not leave. Right? And, and I was starting to freak out. And then at some point, it, it became possible that I guess he moved his chair back or something. And I, I went around him or whatever, and I left. And this was before the session was over. Mm -hmm. um, I went into the bathroom, and he sent somebody in after me and stood outside the door until I left. And then I left, and I went down the stairs outside the building uh, and, and to the bus stop, and he followed me. No. And... He followed me to the bus stop, and I got on the bus, and that was the last time I ever saw him. But he definitely owes me an apology because, A, there was nothing that I wasn't talking about, and, B, if I were, that was totally the wrong way to go about getting me to talk about it. Well, right. I mean, that's so, very threatening to block the door. Extremely threatening. Extremely threatening. And there was no other way out. He, he blocked the door. Right. And you're already feeling vulnerable because here you are talking about, you know, well, how much you hate therapy. crayons, right? Right. <laughs> How'd you know? That time in you the remember. third grade. <laughs> <laughs> right? So he definitely, definitely owes me an apology. If not, you know, I could probably sue him if I wanted to. Oh, well, I mean, I'm glad you never went back because some people would have yeah. gone back because you sort of feel indebted to your therapist. You don't want to uh, go to therapy and you hate it and you force yourself to go and then you start thinking It must like, be good for me. I'm right? bad yeah. and I'm, yeah, damaged and they can fix me and yeah, no, and and what an asshole. Absolutely. So how about you? Who's sorry now? Oh, because you. your story reminded me of a story that I would say like, <laughs> hmm, 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 hmm. So yeah, uh, I'll go with oh, two and they're both so oh, oh good. good. Tell us everything. Okay, cool. So we'll do the therapy one first. So who's sorry now? Okay. Um, after my mother died, I was seeing a therapist uh, to help me deal with grief. 
and um, the therapist was gay. I re- it was really important to me that I find a gay therapist or somebody at least who was gay friendly because I felt okay within myself being gay. It was real queeby about it in public and all that, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I didn't want I didn't want somebody to be like. Oh, sure. Your mom died and you're gay. So let's deal with the gay thing. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. So. All right. Cool. And um, anyway, so this therapist had uh, I'd been seeing him for mm, more than six months. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And he had just broken up with his boyfriend and oh, he was pretty he sad. He told you that. Oh, That's we, inappropriate. Oh, he did. He totally told, did. Yeah. Uh, so he, he was pretty sad. And. Um, we were doing our session and he said, you know, I think it's really important for people to hold each other and feel the comfort of another person's arms around you to know that you will be supported and you're okay. So come lay on the couch with me. Oh my God. And I did. Because I was 18. Well, you were young. You didn't know any better. You were in a position of vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, I did, I'll did. i say sure. I didn't want to. It wasn't like a... Sure. Oh, my... Because you do have that transference thing where it's like, oh, you start having a crush on your therapist or whatever. Um, and I was aware that that would be a thing. So I actually kind of was right. watching for that. Because, uh, you know, as right. dumb as I was, I was smart in some other things. And sure. uh, got on the couch and, and he wasn't... It, I mean, that was inappropriate. That never should have happened. Yes. Um, but No question. You know, he um, we continued the, the session and then it was over and, and I got up and all he did was hold me, right? But it, I don't like to be touched to begin with. Um, sure. I, you know, I hug people, but I yeah. am hugging people. I don't like to be hugged. Okay. Right? Okay. Which, if Important. that makes any sense to anybody, then I'll see you in therapy tomorrow. Um, so yeah, so he owes me an apology for that because it was, uh, it did make me uncomfortable. I didn't want to do it, but I also didn't have uh, a way to say no that, yeah, yeah, just, just didn't. Um, he does owe you an apology. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And did you go back to him? Oh yeah. I saw him. I saw him for months and months afterwards. Um, okay. He didn't make you do that again. No, no, but just that one time. And then, um, you know, at a certain point I felt better. And I remember him yeah. talking about like, you know, there'll come a time when you are going to feel ready to leave therapy, but then you won't want to because you'll be afraid. And when you feel like you've reached that stage, let's talk about it. Yeah. And uh, instead, I just never went back. <laughs> I'm That's how I always did it. <laughs> yeah. Work for me. It's easier that way. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think... Uh, Maybe we'll just leave it at that one. Wow. I'm sorry that happened to you because that's really inappropriate. And I'm glad nothing worse happened. Right. Well. Extremely inappropriate. Yeah. Inappropriate and somewhat unethical. Yeah. But hopefully he talked about it to his supervisor and his supervisor said, don't fucking do that anymore, you idiot. And that's why it never happened again. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe he got back together again with his boyfriend. I don't don't remember. (laughs) Maybe. But yeah, I I do remember feeling guilty for sitting in there talking about my problem when he was so sad. Uh, man. I Just, was paying $15 an hour because I was on a sliding scale because I was well, so poor. I know, it's super great. Um, he he had a sliding scale thing and he was like, yeah, I, I take X number of clients on, you know, as like not charity, but kind of charity. And so, yeah. you know. Whatever. Cool. Yeah. I had to give cool. so many blowjobs to get that $15 each week. <laughs> oh, that's not even funny. Oh, I know. That's, <laughs> that's terrible. All right. So that's who's sorry now. Um, I think that concludes our, our, our episode for our podcast podisode today. Our podisode. Um, unless you've got more to say, Theo. No, I have boxes to unpack that are calling my name. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We appreciate your time. We're glad you spent this hour or so with us. And we'll see you next week. Yes. Bye. Goodbye, everyone.
Thank you for listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at apologiesaccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at apologies.accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.